Welcome back to another episode of the Equity Matters Podcast. This is your host, Addis JB3. It's episode 41, and I want y'all to keep that same energy. Okay, no, sorry. Dad jokes have been getting out of control lately, but that's for another day. Today, we are talking about this notion of energy and justice. And this continues on our theme around environmental justice and how individuals, especially from minoritized and oppressed and marginalized, all the adjectives, populations don't have a fair shake at the decision making when it comes to their environment, when it comes to how their infrastructure is designed and the consequences thereof. And even thinking about energy specifically, it's so interesting to me that the research tells us that communities of color and low-income communities are actually paying more for their energy than their rich counterparts. And you start thinking about it, it's like, wow, how is that even true? And then you think about older homes who have more structural, well, not who, that have more structural threats. Thinking about spaces where energy or heat or anything may come out of the home. It takes more effort to heat up a home. If there's an older furnace or older windows, like all, all of those things, and you start connecting it to poverty and you can connect it to where communities are located, thinking about redlining specifically here, and even thinking about overcrowding. When there's more people in a home and it just requires more to keep people warm and safe, as we approach the winter, that's something I often think about. And so today we hear from Jamal Lewis, who is the director of energy, health and climate at the Green and Healthy Homes Initiative, who's going to talk about the ways that energy is disproportionately allocated, disproportionately funded. And as a result, the health outcomes are disproportionately unjust for communities of color. And so, Jamal, would love to have you introduce yourself to the listeners. Sure, yeah, I'm Jamal Lewis, uh, as, as, as you heard. And uh, for the past uh, five years, I've been working with the, the Green and Healthy Homes Initiative on issues of energy and, and housing uh, and health, so that, that all of that uh, intersecting and interconnecting. Um, so I, I, my work is really focused on, on that intersection. Uh, so I am excited to be here and to talk more about it. Um, and James, thanks, thanks for having me again. Oh, for sure. So could you define energy justice for us? I mean, we hear a lot about um, environmental justice. I'm even hearing more about climate justice, but what exactly is energy justice? Yeah, and I think that's a, a really good question. Um, there are, and I, and I think this is a particularly salient question right now, because there are a lot of people uh, in the country, uh, you know, as a result of COVID and even pre-COVID uh, that 
are unable to meet their, their basic household energy needs. So thinking of heating and cooling, which are, are the natural ones, but even things like cooking um, or, you know, I know you've got kids um, and, and this may not be uh, a need, but thinking about, you know, TV and, and, and other things that, that sort of power our lives. Uh, and so there, there are a lot of folks who are unable to meet those, those needs. And, and where the justice comes in, a, a lot of that is, uh, at least for, for some populations of people, is through no fault of their own, but through a legacy of, 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 of housing policies, discriminatory housing policies and other uh, practices that contribute to this inability of meeting uh, of meeting these energy needs. So the, the concept of energy justice is, is just that. How do we ensure that everyone has access to the basic necessities as it relates to energy in a way that, that is restorative um, and that undoes the, the legacy of unjust policies and practices that contributes to the, the scenarios and situations that we're in today? So you describe discriminatory housing practices and policies as part of the precursor to what we see as energy justice. Were there other specific um, barriers or root causes that you could call out? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say housing is the 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 root the, the main root of of at least you know the, the work that I've been doing. But you know, there's. The, the inability of meeting basic household needs is a function of a few things. One, can you pay for the energy that you use? And for a lot of people, the answer to that is no. And that could mean they're using too much energy than they can pay, or it can mean that they're making too little to be able to pay for it. So, you know, I would say another root cause is the uh, the disproportionate, uh, you know, income that that a lot of folks are, you know, receive that makes it, you know, close to impossible for them to afford energy on a on a month to month basis. So, you know, I think about the quality of uh, of someone's home, the condition of their home. They may live in a home with leaky windows. So even no matter how hard uh, or how much they they run their heat some of it's leaking out and that will just drive up the energy bill, making it even, uh, making it even uh, more costly uh, for them. So, you know, I, I think income uh, and, and the injustice around that for a lot of people, the injustice around housing conditions is another. Um, and then just the, the, the neighborhood that, that people live in, you know, are they in a neighborhood that that has access to, you know, a, a solar farm or other resources that can that can make energy just a little bit more affordable. Um, I, I think all of those play a, a pretty big role uh, in this concept. To me, it, it reminds me a lot of the conversations around social determinants of health and how like all, everything is interconnected. And so, if one uh, social determinant is in a negative way so many others kind of follow that same path. And it's really unfortunate that we find ourselves in situations even in 2021 where, you know, energy is something that 
has become an inequity. Could you describe for us who is primarily impacted by this problem? Yeah, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of ways to, to define that, but I, I'll talk about two, uh, two primary, you know, populations of people that are impacted. One, you know, folks who, who, who have limited incomes. So we talked about actually, you know, a, a being able to afford the energy that you use. People, well, people who have limited incomes, you know, by definition are going to have a harder time doing that. So, I mean, that, that is in, in a lot of ways subject to, you know, where you live, you know, because, you know, there are certain areas where the income level is, is lower than other areas. Uh, and, and so in a lot of ways it's subjective, but, uh, but the limited income population is, is largely impacted. But then you, you also have, you know, specifically communities of color uh, and in African American communities who who suffer most uh, from this concept of energy injustice or energy insecurity, which um, you know my friend and mentor uh, Diana Hernandez from, you know, from Columbia University coined. Um, but you, you you see a a real disparity in the the inability of of African Americans and other you know communities of color. To, to meet their basic household needs. So I'll, I'll just, I'll talk about those two, but there are a lot of others. I mean, you know, the disabled community is impacted and there's a lot of inequities that, that surface in, you know, when we're talking about this, this topic. And I think I mentioned it when we first got on the line, but how does this align with other like environmental justice issues? I mean, is it having the same kind of conversations or getting the same kind of attraction? I'm, I'm really glad you asked that question. Um, and it, it does go back to the social determinants of health. And, and what you said is that a lot of these determinants seem to, whatever direction that uh, an issue is in one area, other issues also tend to be in that direction. And, and that's definitely the case here when we're talking about energy. In areas that have a, a high energy burden and, and what, that, what that is, is the, the percentage of income spent on energy. And so the, the, the energy burden that's, that's deemed acceptable or, or where, where a lot of people aim to be is 6%. So spending 6% of your, your energy or 6% of your income on energy. Uh, there are a lot of people in, in the country today who, who spend, who can spend up to 20% of their income. Uh, and, and that's, that's truly unaffordable. But in those same areas where you have people who are paying such a high percentage of their income on energy, you also have uh, in those same areas, high rates of lead poisoning, higher rates of, of people with asthma, um, you, lower graduation rates, um, you know, all of these negative, uh, these negative descriptors of community also appear and are often overlapping as issues uh, in the same communities. You mentioned asthma as a health um, related outcome, right? How does 
energy impact health? Yeah, great question. So when you think about, so, so picture a home in your home, for example, you, you have infrastructure in your home that delivers power and, and that uh, in, in most cases it comes from a grid, right? And so you're connected to a, a grid that's run by some utility um, in your area. That infrastructure for a, lot of, for, for a long time has been uh, a, a fossil fuel uh, run infrastructure. So either, you know, you have a, you may have a gas furnace or a gas stove, um, or even if you have, you know, electric, uh, electric appliances somewhere, uh, it's likely that you're, that the utility is powering that electricity through a, a fossil fuel mechanism. So the basis for for energy usage in a home comes from this infrastructure. And the more that you heat your home, especially when you if you have you know gas infrastructure, the more air pollution, you know, as as it relates to carbon or nitrogen dioxide or or um or other, you know, of these, you know, criteria pollutants are, are coming out um, the more that you heat or cool your home. So when thinking about the, the health impacts of energy or that the health outputs uh, that result from energy production, poor indoor air quality is, is one of the primary things that we look at. And that, that comes from the actual production of energy in your home or the, the production of heat or, 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 or AC, et cetera. The other big health impact as a result of energy is, is how comfortable you are in your home. Are you, if, if you're unable to meet your energy needs, i.e. heating and cooling, that probably means that there are there's a significant amount of time that you spend in an extremely cold environment or an extremely hot environment. And that can have a, a, a significant impact on the occupant, particularly if the occupant already has chronic, chronic conditions like uh, arthritis or, um, or COPD or, or asthma, you know, cold, you know, extreme cold can be, and extreme heat, both can be asthma triggers. So when thinking about the intersection between energy and health, there are a number of different ways and pathways in which those impacts surface, but the, the, the thermal comfort and the, the air quality pathways are, are the most prominent. And so how do we start to redesign or rethink energy injustice, right? What are some of the conversations that are necessary to advocate for, for people to have equity with energy? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a number of things that we could, we could be, you know, advocating for. You know, the, the one thing that I'll talk about is the importance of energy efficiency. Energy efficiency is, is a broad term and 
it encompasses a, a large field of, of uh, it, it encompasses a large field. So, you know, thinking about energy efficient appliances, energy efficient cars, it seems like every year we're getting better and better at, at using energy more efficiently. In, in the housing context, when we talk about energy efficiency, we're referring to reducing the, the waste that comes from producing energy. So if you're, if, if you're heating your home and a lot of it is going out of the window, that's not a very efficient system. If in the, in the case of, of gas heating systems, because it's combustion based, a lot of the heat is actually escaping into the atmosphere instead of being targeted towards, you know, providing heat or providing AC for your home. And so as we are getting better and better at, at, at improving efficiency in, in homes, uh, we are providing better air quality, we're providing better comfort. Now, there are programs both federal programs, state programs, and uh, utility programs that offer energy efficiency services. And just to give you a sense for what that entails, that can entail changing out your, your window to a more efficient one, one that keeps heat in and, and keeps the air from outside out. It can also entail insulation, which, which serves the same purpose. It can, it can entail changing out or replacing your entire heating system to a more efficient one. And, and there are programs, like I said, federal, state and utility programs that offer these types of services uh, to improve efficiency. One of the issues with these programs is that they're not accessible to everyone. While a lot of these programs are limited income programs, they often rely on uh, or require the state of the home to be in good enough condition such that nothing bad will come of, of the work that's being done in the home. And, and as we talked about earlier in this conversation, there are a lot of people, you know, limited income, uh, communities of color, households of color, African-American communities that are subject to living in older and more deteriorated uh, deteriorated homes as a result of discriminatory housing practices um, and the inability to access loans uh, that can be used for maintenance purposes. The, these people in these households then are precluded from accessing energy efficiency services purely because of the state of their home. And you know, when we talk about energy justice, that is a critical piece. We have to make sure that these programs, which they're in, in many cases, they're, you know, they're paying into anyway. We need to make sure that, that these, these households can, can access these services and ultimately improve the affordability of, the, of their energy and the condition of their home, which contributes to the inability of, of these households to meet their energy needs. We learned in COVID there 
really the, the cracks in our infrastructure, right? We have a good sense of what we could have or should have been doing before the virus really spread the way that it did. How has COVID and energy justice, how has that conversation um, gone hand in hand? Like I, I think about, you know, emergency evictions and you know, shutoffs and all of those impacts. Could you talk to how COVID has played a role here? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're, you know, when, when you talk about the, the number one fighter against COVID, right, housing people and making sure that people have stable housing. And we found out that that is a, a really significant chink in our armor, in the armor of our country is that a lot of people don't have stable housing, um, which, which, you know, contributes to the, the spread rate of COVID. What we also learn is that while people are home and, you know, a lot of folks are no longer, uh, folks who are fortunate enough to have a job, uh, to, to, to keep their jobs and, and not be able to, to go into the office, um, a, lot, a lot of people are spending more time at home which means that they're having to use more energy that otherwise may have been paid for by their job. So a lot more of that is falling on, is falling on them. It's falling on. So it's, it's, it's shifting the, the burden, a lot of the burden of, of affording energy onto, onto families, onto communities. And so, you know, when talking about the impacts of COVID, it really showed us that we need safety nets and, and to, to draw this comparison, we, we have safety nets in a lot of ways for a lot of social issues. I mean, we have Medicaid for people who, who don't have, um, who, aren't, who aren't employed or for people who uh, aren't able to really afford their, their healthcare. Um, you know, there are programs that can help house unstable, unstably housed individuals, while those programs aren't enough, well, what we're learning is that for energy, there really isn't a safety net. You know, either you, you can afford to pay your utility bills uh, or you can't and you, you end up mounting with debt. And, and that can actually end up causing an eviction. So, a lot of these things are intertwined, but I, I think one of the, the biggest lessons that, that I've learned in this is that we, we, need, we need better safety nets in, in the energy space. And so how do we get there? How do we achieve equity in this space? I mean, even thinking about it from like a global perspective, most of our energy really comes from a system through extraction and pollution, right? And you think about where companies and organizations dump is typically in marginalized and oppressed communities. So it sounds like there's a lot of different pathways that we need to have to, to achieve equity, but what does that look like for us? Yeah, I mean, I think the first step is to acknowledge and recognize the harm that the energy system in our country has caused, uh, you know, limited income communities and communities of color. For a long time, particularly communities of color have 
have been negatively impacted by the entire system of energy production and distribution and transmission uh, and consumption <laughs> uh, that we experience here. There are communities who that were literally displaced in order to put a, a transmission line. There are communities that are, are literally being, uh, that are literally undergoing subsidence you know, in the South because oil is being extracted underground and is causing the entire community to, to dive below the, the, the water level. Um, with consumption, I mean, you, you've got the people who consume the most, it, you know, the impact of that is, is often falling on, on the, uh, the most vulnerable in our communities. So, you know, the more that, that we consume, the more has to be produced. And we know because we, you know, traditionally have been a fossil fuel, uh, uh, the energy system has been run by fossil fuels. All that means is that, you know, the more, the more energy that we need, the more energy that we produce is equates to the, the more burning of fossil fuels that we have. And we know that these, these plants are located in or near uh, vulnerable communities. So the first step is to acknowledge that and to say, you know, we've, we've done wrong and, and we've done wrong in, in really horrible ways. And we are willing to work with you to, to put in place a, a system that is, that, that better works for, for everyone. And in my, in my opinion, that is a fossil fuel, fuel free system, uh, an electric system that benefits everyone. And, and we have to get to a point where we, where we can get to that place and where the, the legacy of, of all of these systemic harms are redressed. And I always like to ask folks, what role are you playing in that, in, in our pursuit for equity? Yeah, great question. Um, I'd like to think that I'm, I'm playing a role by highlighting the importance of, highlighting the fact that our, our energy system is so unjust and inequitable and being a voice in the room to say, we have to change the way that we think about energy, the way that our current programs work, the way that we're currently delivering services to, uh, to households who can benefit. Like we, we have to shift the way that we think about all of that. And I see my role, uh, you know, at least at, at right now is to sound the alarm on that, to, to offer suggestions and to be uh, one of the people who uh, one of the many people who are who are really fighting for and advocating for and pushing for more just uh, energy programs and more just energy systems. And connecting all of that, because we know that all of it is interconnected, as we talked about earlier, energy is, is not just something, energy insecurity, energy injustice is not something that exists in a vacuum. It is oftentimes compounded by other injustices that are occurring. If someone it, it can't afford the energy bill, it oftentimes 
they are also unable to afford their health care or afford to, to put food on their table um, or afford their medicine. So all of the all of these issues are are so deeply intertwined. And right now it seems as though we're trying to tackle these systemic issues in a silo. And I don't believe that that's going to get us to where we need to be uh, with promoting and advancing uh, true equity uh, for uh, for all. I know we we breezed over this when we started talking about social determinants, but could you describe some of the collaborations necessary? Because realizing that it is all interconnected, you know, working with housing agencies or working with you know some of these large corporations that provide. Uh, fossil fuels. What are some of the potential collaborations that we could see to to move the needle on equity here? Yeah, um, for sure. I, I can. I'll talk about one uh, one element of this this larger ecosystem, which is the the intersection between housing and uh, and energy. As I mentioned, you know there there are energy efficiency programs that provide really, really critical services to, uh, to households uh, who can benefit from them. But not all households have live in a, live in a home that uh, is eligible because of the condition and the state of that, of their home. And so one of the important collaborations that, you know, the that the organization that I work for, uh, Green and Healthy Homes Initiative, and, and my boss, you know, Ruth Ann Norton, has been pushing for for a long time, is the the leveraging of programs, housing programs, healthy housing programs, and energy programs, in order to ensure equal access to these programs. So, in order for uh, limited income households to to access energy efficiency. We have to first find a way to improve the condition of their home so that so that they can now stand to benefit from from these programs and and one of the the key collaborations that is sort of a recent innovation is is with the the department of housing and urban development at the at the federal level and the department of energy uh, also at the federal level hud released a uh, a funding notice uh, late in, in 2020, which encouraged uh, their lead hazard control grantees to partner with their local uh, weatherization agency. And, and weatherization is another term uh, that refers to residential energy efficiency. Uh, so so this, this funding opportunity encouraged uh, partnering with uh, these, these local weatherization agencies in order to address health hazards or you know poor housing conditions that lead that ultimately lead to uh, to energy efficiency deferrals which means you know yeah we you know we can do work in your home but you have to fix uh, you know these three issues before you before we can do that and in a lot of cases these these families aren't able to to invest in improving or, or, or addressing these issues. And so they end up just getting placed on a deferral list. Well, this partnership is, is I think is, is, is one aspect of, a, uh, of a, a list of innovations that 
are critical in, in promoting equity in, in the energy space. With HUD's dollars that can be used for lead remediation, which is a common cause for deferral, and their supplemental healthy homes dollars that can be used to address things like mold, which also is a, is a common reason for deferral. We are able to eliminate these hazards and then place that home in a, in a better position to benefit from, from energy efficiency and weatherization. So when, when you talk about partnerships, you know, I see the housing community being uh, a, a critical partner. You know, I see the, the health community uh, being a critical partner given the, the health benefits of energy efficiency um, and the fact that a lot of the reasons for deferrals are because of health reasons. So um, I see that as also being a in a really critical partnership. So as we, we prepare to wrap up, what is something that you want the listeners to walk away with? Like one, one takeaway, you know, as we're talking about energy injustice and we're trying to achieve equity, what's the one thing that either they could do or something that they could relate to others as we're trying to achieve equity? Great question. I mean, I, I, I think about the systems that we're currently operating in here in here in America and how these systems are clearly not meant to work for you know our society's most vulnerable and I think a lot of Americans you know had to open their eyes you know within the the, the last year given you know the the, the issues with policing in communities that become more and more visible over time, um, the, the, the inequities that COVID has, uh, has amplified. And I think we have to look at those and look at this, this issue of energy injustice in the same light. These systems clearly were not meant to work for, for all of us and we're paying the price for it now. You know, there's there are so many people who are straddled with energy debt, um, and are are just trying to put food on their table, are just trying to 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 spend one night where they're not shivering, um, and we have we we have to completely rethink, as with the, the system of policing, as with the, our, you know the system of healthcare in the in this country. Um, the, the housing system, we have to really we have to completely rethink how energy is produced and delivered um, in a way that does not disproportionately harm anyone um, and where everyone can can stand to benefit uh, can stand to benefit as much as possible. So I mean, I think the takeaway for me is, yeah, we, we have a system in place and that system has worked for a lot of people but it's clearly not working for everyone. And so I think what, what we can all do is, is challenge our, the notions that we have of whether or not the systems are working and really start to imagine what a system where everyone can meet their basic household energy needs, uh, where that system exists. And, and I, I think it takes all of our imagination and all of our advocacy and, um, and thought uh, in order for us to get there. Amen, brother. So how can people keep up with you, Jamal? I know, you know, you mentioned that you're, you're working at GHHI. 
there may be some special projects that people are interested in collaborating on. Give us a plug for any social media or any contact information that you may have. Yeah, like, you know, like I said, I'm, I work with the, the Green and Healthy Homes Initiative and, and uh, our website is greenandhealthyhomes.org. Yeah, and you, you can find out more about what we do there. Uh, I am also on Twitter, so you can follow me at Jamal J. Lewis. Uh, you, can, you can follow me there. Uh, and you can click, uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I do post about some of the things that I'm engaged in and some of the things that my, my partners are engaged in. And so, you know, if you want to connect, I'd be happy to connect with you. Uh, on LinkedIn, on, on Twitter, uh, and the like. Uh, but, uh, or you can email me. My, my email address, I believe, is on, is on JHHI's website. So um, you can reach me in any of those ways. And I'll be happy to connect. Jamal, definitely appreciate the time. As I mentioned before, I feel like energy justice is something that's still relatively new to me. And just hearing just the connectedness of all the other things that you know, I tend to work on when it comes to racial equity, when it comes to public health, like this should be definitely on our, on my radar, and I'm hoping that the listeners feel the same way. So appreciate your time, brother. No problem. H happy to be here. Thanks for having me, and I'm looking forward to connecting with you more deeply uh, as we get to know each other more. Oh, for sure. Big shout out to Jamal for hopping on the podcast and joining us today. I think what we all can take away from this conversation in thinking about the ways that housing, the ways that public utilities and public works, the ways that all these things intersect in ways that impact our health and whether that becomes an asset or becomes a deficit, it can produce a buffer, if you will. So if you have access to more wealth or more economic stability, you're more likely to have a nicer home. You're more likely to have an energy efficient home. And those are all things that you just you just want to keep in mind as you know, you're working with clients who have to decide if they're going to pay their utilities or purchase their medications. No one should, first of all, be in a situation where they have to decide those things. But we realize in, in our current reality, that is a common occurrence. And I just appreciate Jamal for, for highlighting that and the ways that we are impacted by energy. A few quick announcements before we close out for the day. You all should be well aware if you're on our listserv, if you're a frequent listener, if you follow us on social media, that the Equity Matters Social Justice Academy is now officially open for registration. We are looking forward to taking up all the space, understanding power and positionality on September 14th. What do you get when you register? That's when one of the common questions that people have asked. So you get access to the recording, which I think will be helpful for folks who are going back and want to do a little deep dive, do more reflection, or potentially use it in their own trainings or own courses. That would be helpful. You also get access to a workbook. So I am creating a document from scratch that individuals can use to follow along with the training itself. 
places where you can drop your notes as you're experiencing the session, other places that include some of the curriculum. And you also, of course, get to participate. And so folks that know me know that I love a good dialogue. So creating a space where people can talk about the role of privilege and the role of positionality and the role of power, quite frankly, the three P's, which we'll, we'll come back to at some point. And how all of these things show up, especially when we're working with communities that have been oppressed. And when we come into these spaces, knowing that we have all of those things, how should we show up? So please, the registration link is attached to the podcast notes. It's also looped into all of our social media links. So register, 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 tell a friend, come. You know, we're just setting up for the beginning. The second uh, session, we'll see when it occurs because I I told myself I wanted to do three in the fall. We'll we'll see how that works out. Also coming up soon, I'll be participating in a executive leadership series around leadership for anti-racist practice. Really excited to share the stage with some fellow USC DSW colleagues. Um, Shout out to Dr. Joanne Lunsford and Dr. April Duncan, who are co-facilitating with me on that day. That's, I believe, uh, that's the 30th of August. So it's right around the corner. So hopefully I can get my notes together for that. Really excited to to close out the environmental justice series. I I thought it was a, a nice shift from a lot of the things that we talk about, but really highlight the same people that we're working with. We are also preparing for next month. And so September being right around the corner, I'm shifting back to my community engagement and community outreach roots in a few ways. The first, we have two very exciting speakers, really excited to announce them. You'll see that coming up. We have Dr. LaShawn Johnson, and we also have Dr. Jody Cunningham. You'll get more information on them as we get closer. And I think that covers all the church announcements for now. If not, you'll hear from me. Sign up for the listserv, follow us on social media, all the things that I usually say. And so take care, folks. Stay safe. And of course, you already know equity matters.